Welcome everyone to the Language Hacking Podcast. Today we are talking with Ben Phillips and Benny and I got some great insight from this 19-year-old multilingual. Yes, he actually traveled to Germany, but other Spanish-speaking countries practically for free. He talks about that during the interview. He also talks about how to stay motivated to continue to speak your target language when you're living in a foreign country without falling into the English speaking bubble. And also the theme of imperfection and how that is really the only way to move forward in language learning was really prevalent in the interview. So here we go. Here's our interview with Ben Phillips. The links and resources mentioned in this episode can be found at languagehacking.com forward slash 76. Welcome to the Language Hacking Podcast from Fluent in Three Months. Welcome, everyone. My name is Elizabeth Bruckner, and today I'm here with the wonderful Benny Lewis of Fluent in Three Months, and we are interviewing Ben Phillips, who spent 10 months living in Germany practically for free. He went from zero to a C1 level, which is super advanced, over a 14-month period. And today, we're going to ask him how he learned German so quickly and how he lived in another country for free. So let's get started. Welcome, Ben. Hey, thank you so much for having me. It's wonderful to be here. It's great to have you. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you managed to, to learn German in less than 14 months? Yeah, of course. Um, I did wake up this morning with a sore throat, so I'm sorry if my voice sounds a little raspy, but we'll get through it. So I'm Ben. I'm a college student right now. When I was a sophomore in high school, there was an exchange student at our high school, and his name was Tim, and he was from Germany. And he was really good friends with my sister, and he was talking to my sister about the program um, which he used to come travel to America and stay in an American high school. And they have like the reverse of this program for Americans to go to Germany. And my sister was going to apply, but she was like really busy, had a bunch of college applications to send. And so she was talking to me about it. And I have always loved languages. I've always wanted to do like an exchange program. And so, um, so I applied and I applied kind of late. I only had like a week to like do the application, write all these like essays for it, answer these questions fill out all these forms and send in this application. And then I waited and I got accepted. And um, I had to do like some interviews. I had to read all these emails and all these information packets. And then, and then I went to Germany. And the first month I stayed in this language camp with 50 other American exchange students, which kind of, it made me feel a little uneasy about the experience because after this month long language course, I felt like I had learned nothing. And that's probably because I was staying with Americans, learning German in these classes, but then afterwards speaking only English with all my American friends and just surrounding myself in English. And so when I left that camp, I still didn't know that much German. I'd only been studying for a few months before leaving. So I was very basic. I could have some conversations, but it was really rough. And I went to school every day and didn't understand what was going on in any of my classes. And luckily, I was considered a guest student, so they didn't really pressure me into doing all the activities with them. They weren't like, oh, you have to do this homework, and if you don't, you're going like, to fail and go home. They were just like, okay, you can sit there, you can ask us questions, you could practice, you could learn German in class if you want. If you want to bring a book and like study German in class, you can do that. So school wasn't too bad, but it was still hard like hearing all this German and, and not knowing what was going on and being confused. 
but I got to work, you know, I started studying, I went home every day and I would read in German, I would study this grammar book. And after a few months, I got better. And then by the end of the year, I was pretty much fluent, I could understand pretty much all, all that was going on and participate. And I remember one amazing moment for me was when I could finally like raise my hand in my religious studies class which was one of the hardest classes there was because like all they did was speak. They just had this big discussion in German and they would read these old German religious texts, um, like, like German translations from the Bible. And I was like, I have no hope of understanding this. And then by the end of the year, I participated in one of their discussions and I raised my hand and I said something and, and I just felt uh, really proud of that. And then I returned home and I took the C1 test and and I passed and I was in this test with um, like you have to do a, a, a spoken portion where you like basically have a conversation with the proctors of the test. And I was there with a professor from the University of Oregon who was a German like professor. And I felt don't want to brag, but I felt like I was speaking better than him in this test. And I was like, wow, I've only been learning for a year. And, and this conversation came easy to me. So it was a great experience. Very hard, though. I mean, a lot of work to learn German, but it kind of fulfilled one of my dreams of learning a second language, something that I tried three times beforehand. I tried to learn Japanese. I tried to learn Greek for like a small amount of time. I tried to learn Mandarin. I had Mandarin in high school and didn't learn anything. So yeah, it was, it was a dream come true, I guess. I would love to hear your thoughts on what actually made this different to your Japanese and Greek experience. I mean, obviously you went to the country, but initially, because a lot of people do go to uh, live abroad and they don't necessarily have anything to show for it. Certainly not enough to pass a C1 exam. So in those initial weeks, how did you keep your motivation going? And what do you think would have made your experience different to other language learners? It, it is even being in the country, it's still like hard for a lot of people. And I knew in my German high school that I went to, there were two other American exchange students and both of them struggled to learn German even by the end one of them was was pretty good, probably like a B2. And the other one really struggled, was probably still like an A2 or because she wasn't motivated to like really study and really immerse herself and try her hardest to only speak in German. You know, she often just like would start speaking English because it's easy and it's easy to do the easiest thing, like to choose the easy option to do the path of least resistance and then not learn anything by the end. And for me, my motivation was, I mean, that was like my main goal of going to Germany. So was to learn German and really get like excel in this language. And I knew I'm like, was telling myself, like, I can't go back like without knowing German. Like I'm here for a year. I, I have to do this, you know? So for me, it was hard. It was definitely hard, but I always had in the back of my mind, like, this is why I'm here. You know, I have this opportunity, this program that only 250 Americans have the opportunity to do every year. Um, I'm one of them. And so I'm going to do it. I guess also staying motivated was the fact that um, like I had, I couldn't go home. You know, I, I really had no other option but to live there. And it was hard living in surrounded by German. And it's only going to get easier if I figure it out, if I learn German. So for me, it was just... I just always kept that in my mind, like this is something I need to do. And there was also a lot of pressure by the exchange organization of if you're an exchange student, you need to you need to learn this language. Like that's one of the main points of this this trip is to to learn the language. So there was pressure from the exchange program. I had my own pressure on myself saying like this is my goal. 
And every day, you know, every month I would make a to-do list of like, okay, well, I'm going to learn this in German. I'm going to do like this many words um, because it's something I need to do. You know, I need to fulfill this goal because I'm here because I have this opportunity. So just, I think what's very important in learning a language is like reminding yourself constantly that this is like why you're doing it. You know, this is what you're doing and to, to stick with that, you know, and with Japanese, you know, I mean, one thing was like, I wasn't in the country, there was no pressure, didn't know many Japanese people I could speak to. And that's another thing is that when you're speaking the language with people, then you get that immediate like satisfaction of of like why you're learning this language is I'm learning it to speak with these people. And when you're speaking it and meeting new people with that language and learning about them and learning about that culture, that's also like a reward. So it rewards you and it reminds you this is why you're doing it and it motivates you to continue. So being surrounded by Germans, I was like constantly motivated, excited to learn German. I do know of many people that have gone to the country to learn a language and then they've just, there's so much pressure in terms of cultural differences, new smells, new sounds, new, new community, new food that their brains like, I can't put another thing in. And so they start with, I'm just going to take the first two weeks off and I'm going to speak a little bit of English the first two weeks. And, and then, you know, on the third week, I'll start next Monday. It becomes like a, a language diet, right? Next Monday, I'm going to start. It sounds like you were very focused in your intent. And I love hearing that you have failed at learning three languages before that, because it doesn't mean you're just super magnificent focused guy. And it wasn't just that you suddenly moved to this country. You had a focus. You also had some sort of um, external pressure, not just from the culture, but also from the exchange group. Did you have anyone there? Because each day you have to decide again, I'm only going to speak German today. Each day you have to wake up and go, I'm only going to speak German. Can you talk about a few of the times where it would have been really easy to slip back into English? And how did you overcome those, those hurdles? Yeah. So there were a lot of times I did slip back into English. You know, my my best German friend would like really loved speaking English. Like she just like didn't like German, which I thought was really funny because she was German. She's like, I just I German just doesn't sound good. I'm like, you're wrong. I love this language. But she always wanted to practice English with me. And she was one of like, it was really hard to make friends in Germany when like I couldn't speak the language. So she was like one of my my few friends there and she would only want to speak English. I'm like, dude, like I, I can't do this. So after a while of me telling her like, no, we need to speak German, we need to speak German. We made like a deal of like, okay, well on Wednesdays and Mondays we'll speak English, but the rest of the week it's like German only. And that helped. So like, yeah, it's not perfect. It's not all German, but it's better. And I had these American friends there who went to my school and like they would want to speak English. So when I was with them, I'd slip back into it. I don't know. I developed this, like this feeling of whenever I was speaking English, I just felt a little guilty. You know, I felt like I was doing something wrong. So that kind of kept me away, kind of kept me like, okay, well, I need to need to be speaking more German, you know? So with my American friends, I'd be like, okay, well, let's, let's speak German now. You know, let's, um, even though we're both American, we're probably going to both make these grammatical mistakes when we're talking to each other and not be able to correct each other or anything like that. It's still better to kind of get in that headspace and speak German. So yeah, so there were definitely times and in classes, you know, it was easy when I didn't understand something one class in my physics class. Oh my gosh. My physics class was the most confusing class. Like 
I didn't understand a single day in that class. And I sat next to one of the American exchange students. So while they were talking in German, I was talking to the American exchange student in, in English, you know, and that was rough. But then at some point, you know, I kind of changed seats and I tried to participate a little bit more. And it didn't always work out because it was physics in German. But just having this sense that, okay, well, this is my purpose, you know, and if I'm doing anything against it, then I'm not helping myself. You know, I'm not doing myself a favor. I'm not going to feel good after this. You know, I'm going to feel guilty. I'm going to do that. So just like, a lot of accomplishing a goal is just a constant process of reminding yourself, you know, reminding yourself what's what's right, what's going to help me achieve this goal, what habits am I doing that's not, and like how do I slowly like become um, mindful of these habits and stop doing them. I've heard you in, in two different um, answers talk about imperfection and being okay with not doing it perfectly. Like you're not here to tell us what a perfect way you did this exchange. Instead, you fumbled through it. And that is language learning. So I have a question for both you, Ben, and you, Benny, because I always like to pick Benny's brain when we have, <laughs> when I have a chance. And I know the audience wants to hear it too. You talked a bit about monthly goals. So I know that when I'm starting a language in my, you know, a place that speaks English, the pressure isn't as like big to have a monthly goal. But my monthly goals are a lot like, um, I switch them up every three months, actually, because Benny, Benny suggested that. And that's what I do. I switch up my resources and then I make some short term goals. And you have to keep switching them up because they get stale if you don't. If you switch them up every week, then you're kind of constantly missing or, you know, it's a, a, a moving target. But if you do it once a month, once every three months, you're able to kind of feel like you have achieved something and it gives you more motivation to continue forward. So my question to you, Ben, is can you give us a, a few examples of what your monthly goals were? And then Benny, I'd love to hear if you could go back, Benny, to one of your first successful, which I believe was in Spain, your first successful plopping into a country. What were some of the um, monthly goals that you had and how have they for both of you, because you both are now Ben is now continuing with Spanish. How have those those monthly goals become more defined? There were there were some classes where, like I said in the beginning, I was considered a guest student. So my physics teacher didn't care whether I paid attention or not. And um, some of the teachers kind of like ignored us exchange students. They kind of just like, oh, they're there sitting there. They're not going to understand. Um, but like for this like religious studies class, I mean, they gave us these texts, you know, and so I could take them home and study them if I wanted to. I had my dictionary with me in class. The school didn't allow phones at all. So they like didn't like it if I used Google Translate some in some of the classes, you know, but I'd have my dictionary and I'd be looking up these words. And it's I mean, it is a hard thing. It's it's kind of the same process of just like learning these words that are important to the subject, you know, and trying to learn it that way. Um, but it is definitely an added element of confusion if you already don't understand the topic. You know, like I have physics classes right now in college as a computer engineering major, and, and it's hard to understand. Um, that in another language is, is hard to understand. But there's certain ways that by learning these words and focusing, you know, and kind of interpreting what's going on in a language, it might even help you in some senses kind of pay more attention to certain details when you're learning um, something because you have to like spend the time to translate each word. A lot of the times it's just like more work. It's just spending extra time going home, looking at at this work you did in class, looking like taking lots of notes 
Um, I know some people try to record their lessons, although a lot of times when even if you record like an hour long class, the likelihood you're going to go back and listen to that whole hour again is kind of low. But taking lots of notes, constantly looking things up, going home and, and, and looking at it again and again and, and asking the teachers. I mean, a lot of these teachers, although they kind of ignored us, they still would help us and answer our questions. And I know my like religious studies teacher definitely helped motivate me to kind of pay more attention because in the beginning of his class, I was kind of just, I was reading this German book, you know, cause I was like, I can't understand this. I'm just going to read my book to help me like study German. And he like came up to me and it was like, you have to try, like you have to try to participate as best as you can. And so I started like listening into the class and really like trying to pay attention, trying to like pick out these German words. And then, like I said, by the end of the class, I was like understanding this discussion they were having and able to participate in it. But it's all a very difficult learning process and it's difficult with more difficult topics, but it's possible. You know, people have been doing exchange years for years, for decades, and, and they figure it out. So when it comes to uh, like going to a country, one thing that I feel is maybe less pressure is uh, that making friends side of things because there's a lot more wiggle room for making mistakes and, you know, it's not necessarily, you don't have to have professional levels to get into those conversations. But you are actually, like you said, dealing with physics classes and religion studies, which are very complex topics. So. How can you make that switch and how can you uh, begin to engage in those kind of subjects when you're still a learner? In Germany, my monthly goals in the beginning um, and for any language, really, um, like learning Spanish. And I'd recently started learning Mandarin about a month ago, um, again, after after my previous attempt. Um, and in the beginning, my my goals are typically like vocab based. Um, so the first few months, you know, I'm trying to learn like a few hundred words per month, like sometimes a thousand, although typically it, I end up like not reaching that, only getting 500 or something like that. So that's like with some flashcard app. Um, um, I prefer Memorize to Anki. Uh, it's just a preference. I've never really found success with Anki. Um, and I, I use this app and I just learn a bunch of vocab. Um, and then later in the year, my goals became a lot more, um, like reading focused because I started reading in German a lot more. And so I was like, okay, I want to finish a book this month. And I remember I finished, uh, my first book I finished was this German book they read in fifth grade called Lippelus Traum. And then after that, I finished another one and another one. And by the end of the year, I'd read the whole Harry Potter series in German. So that's just like a bunch of goals continuing on being like, okay, finish this book this month, next book, next book. Yeah. So mainly like vocab, finish a book. I know now like using say italki to practice my Mandarin and my Spanish, um, I can say in my goal, like have this kind of conversation, like have four italki lessons this month or have this one half hour conversation this month. And, and I think that's definitely a good goal to have or like conversation goals in Germany. It's kind of hard to quantify my conversations because they were happening like all day and and at different levels with shorter amounts of time sometimes. And like, it was hard to just sit down and have like an hour long conversation with someone where we're just only talking. So it was mainly vocab and, and reading based, but here learning like Spanish and Mandarin, it's the same thing, vocab, um, but a lot more like, okay, I talk you lessons this many times a month, Mandarin, like this many characters a month, 
Yeah, and for for me, I don't think I made uh, my progress in Spanish nearly as fast as I could have because I did not have actual solid multi-goals. Like that, that was my first project and I had a lot to learn back then. Since then, like what's inspired the Fluent in Three Months project has been um, my goals of uploading a video every month. And I had incorporated that to a lot of my language projects. Like I would decide, okay, on week one, I want to upload a video of me reading a script that I prepared ahead of time, uh, maybe with a native speaker. And if it's a different uh, language that uses a different writing system, maybe just trying to read a few sentences. And then building upon that and just knowing at the end of this month, I'm going to upload a video with my teacher or like the, at the end of month two, my teacher is going to interview me like I was on the radio and that, that's going to go up on YouTube. So those milestones were all based around the same underlying theme of I want to be conversational in this language. So everything, all your goals uh, that tie closer into that help. So um, like in Ben's case, it made sense that the reading had to be incorporated into that because he was going for the C1 level that does involve a lot more in-depth things. And like he said, he was getting a lot of conversation practice anyway because his level of immersion was a lot um, a lot deeper than a lot of us tend to have, even if we do go to the country. Um, but Ben, I am curious with, uh, like, like you said, you finished the whole Harry Potter series and you got all these other books read and everything. Like, how do you manage your time? Because for a lot of people, they would, uh, you know, if you have any kind of social life or if you like playing video games, then it can feel like the time just disappears. Like, how do you make the time to do things like reading entire books? in other languages, which go slower than regular reading. Absolutely. Yeah. It takes, it takes a lot of time in the beginning. It was, it was tough to find time, especially cause I was like watching a ton of YouTube. And so I'd get home and I'd like sit on my phone watching YouTube for like, I don't know, like an hour or two and YouTube in English. And at some point I'm like, this is unproductive. This is not helping me. This is making things worse, to be honest. Um, and so I kind of got over my YouTube addiction by like saying like, you have to start watching YouTube in German or not watch YouTube. And I did the same thing that I did with my like German best friend where I'd say, okay, you can watch YouTube in English on Mondays and Wednesdays. The rest of the week, it has to be in German. And that dramatically reduced the amount of YouTube I watched because I didn't have any like German YouTube channels I really liked at the time. I slowly found some, but even then watching YouTube in German became like a practice tool, a study tool. Also because I was in Germany and it was really hard to make friends, I often found that after school, I, I didn't have any plans. You know, I was just like, oh, well, now I'm home. I'm going to fill this time with something productive. You know, I'm going to sit and, and read because I like reading anyway. So might as well read and, and learn something. And so I was able to finish these books because I put a lot of time into it. I would go home and I would read for like a few hours. But I know that the, not everyone or a lot of people, most people don't have the time for that. I mean, right now, I don't have the time for that. Right now, you know, I'm about to start classes again. So I'm going to be, you know, studying. And then I also have a job. I work in a tea shop like 20 hours a week. So I'm going to be doing that. And then I have like a social life too. Um, so, I mean, it does get harder. And like learning Spanish these last two years, you know, I was in high school and doing my classes and doing extracurriculars. And how I find time now to study Mandarin, like I studied before I got on this call, you know, and the call started for me it's at 7 a.m., right? Uh, 8 a.m. actually. So I woke up at 6 
ate breakfast and all that, then spent like a little less than an hour doing Mandarin. So finding time in your day, waking up early, I think is an amazing thing because you wake up early and it's quiet. No one, none of my roommates are awake and I'm like, okay, I can focus, you know, and sometimes it's hard if you're really tired to get into that focus state. But I like to wake up early and then like exercise a bit, you know, get my heart rate going, drink some coffee and then I'm awake and then I can start. And then finding time throughout the day, like any free moment, you know, like I, I might walk to work and listen to a, a Spanish podcast. And it still is hard to find time. I'm a little worried because classes are about to start that I might have even like a harder time finding time to learn Mandarin. But I mean, there's a lot of hours in the day and a lot of time you're unproductive. And if if you like notice that you're doing something like watching YouTube for a few hours and it's not helping you, then then it's important to make a conscious effort to, to like reduce that, you know. And so there's definitely still things I do that I could spend less time doing. And it's just a process of like building that willpower of saying like, okay, I don't need to, I don't need to take this break right now and sit around and do nothing. Like it's not going to fulfill me in any way, but, but learning a language and having these amazing experiences that language learning brings that is going to fulfill me. So just like reminding yourself and finding these pockets of time, that's how I've been able to, to devote more time to my goals. I love hearing about reading because I myself am a bookworm. And I remember Benny talking about doing things that you like to do naturally in your target language. And I was always like, I don't know what I like to do. I like to hang out with my husband. He doesn't speak French or Spanish. But then I realized that I do love reading. I'm an avid reader. It's just what I do. So that first book, it's so exciting when you finish that first book, isn't it? It's like, oh my gosh, I did look at what I did. This has paper and to a beginning and an end. And I finished it. What I find that reading does is it gives you a lot of passive vocabulary. So active vocabulary is what we're doing right now. We're just, we're talking, we're speaking. And what the listeners are doing right now, especially English learners that are listening to this podcast is they're listening. They are creating passive vocabulary in their system. For someone that is very, um, I'm very visual when I, I learn, reading is great for that. Now, I used an application called Link and all of the applications that we're talking about, I'm making notes, we're going to put them in the show notes for our listeners. Um, and Link is basically you, you plug a book in and then it gives you like an internal dictionary with a flashcard system. I really like it. Right now, I've been doing um, books just paper because I'm getting wild and crazy and trying. I'd love to hear from both of you how exactly you start reading a book when you know very little in the language. Because I remember I opened up the book to French and I was like, oh my God, like the French people are addicted to apostrophes. I don't know what's going on, but they keep contracting everything because I didn't know they didn't have, you know, contractions. I was just, why are there so many apostrophes? I don't understand these words. Why are they putting Y's in the middle? It looks like a sentence with dashes and apostrophes. So I had to, I, I, eventually got rid of that book. It was Le Petit Nicolas. And everybody's like, oh, you got to read that one. That's, I hated it. It was short stories. And I did Harry Potter like you did. And then I started tracking. And I do think that listeners, one of the ways you can motivate is when you finish that book, write it down on a list somewhere. I finished a book, share it with your community. Like we do in the challengers. I always tell challengers, tell us about your wins because it builds on the next win. Like your best friend that spoke, wanted to speak English with you. You probably told her when you finished that book and she was really excited for you. So my question, going back to the question is, how do both of you practice reading in your target language when you don't know your target language? It, it really depends how much effort I want to put into it at the time that I'm reading. So 
I know at the beginning of reading a book, it gets really daunting because you're reading. And I was for, when I first started reading Harry Potter, it was like, oh, there's like 30 words on this page. I don't know. You know, and I would write down every word in my notebook and I'd fill up a page of my notebook with every page of Harry Potter, you know, sometimes even more than a page. And it gets really daunting because I could like make flashcards from all those words and I could like study them and read it again and again until I know it. But that's that's a lot. And I want to get through this book, you know. And so there were times when I was reading where I was more like, okay, I can put the effort into this. I'm going to really slowly read it, look up all these words, spend time to memorize them. But most of the time, like you said, it's passive vocabulary. If you read a whole book, you're going to pick up a lot. You know, um, you don't need to know every single word. You don't need to remember. And then with Harry Potter, there's so many words in there you're never going to use, like wand and wizard and, I don't know, many very niche words. And in conversation, you know, like we're not speaking like authors. We use colloquialisms. It's much more normal. And and so you don't need, and especially like in German, you know, they write um, using a tense that they don't use when speaking. Like the preterite tense is how they write when they're talking in past tense. And in spoken German, like you rarely use that. So you don't need to, in my experience, you know, I just wanted to like get through books, learn as much as I could and not stress that I need to know every single part of this because then you get frustrated so quickly and then you put the book down and it needs to be fun. Like Benny says, I mean, language learning needs to be fun. And if you enjoy reading, you want to stay enjoying reading. You don't want to get mad at your book because you don't understand what's going on. So when I didn't understand it, you know, as long as I understood like what was happening in that page on that paragraph in that section and I got the gist, I would just keep going, you know, and maybe I wouldn't learn the words and maybe I wouldn't understand exactly what was going on, but I get enough to go into the next page. For me, that's that's what I do when I'm starting a book is just like I started a book in Spanish uh, a little while ago and, and it was really tough. It was El Coronel No Tiene Quien Le Escribe by... Gabriel Marquez, I think that's his name, a very like popular Colombian writer. And, and it's really confusing, like the words he uses. But, you know, I write him down and then I'm and then I move on because I get what's going on in the page. I don't even remember all these words. And I probably am going to look them up 10 more times over the next few pages if he uses them again. And at that point, then I'll know it. And then it's an, a word I'll know Then it's important, you know. And that's the thing is that over the course of a whole book, you're going to look up the same words again and again and again, and eventually they're going to stick. But until then, it's okay to look them up again and again and again, in my experience. Yeah, for me, um, reading uh, really has to come later in my learning projects because um, maybe I, w I don't necessarily, it's not central to my life as it would be for some other people. And because of that, I have a lot less patience for it if I'm not going to be understanding a lot of things on the page. And I've tried to read books when I'm not ready. And it hasn't been a pleasant experience. Whereas I do, I like have these two stages in language learning. And in the second stage, when I am ready to read, it's generally when I'm at least at that B2 level and into the C's. So I've read several books in French. I've read books in Spanish. I've read books in Portuguese. But these are my absolute best languages where I still have stuff to learn. There are still words I come across I'm not sure of, but that's very rare. So in the earlier stages, um, any reading I'm doing are in the shortest form possible. So like I start separate Twitter accounts for the languages that I learn and tweets are just 280 characters. So that does not um, push my patience to its limits. 
And then I'll, I'll use a tool like Link, which is very good because that uh, already caters to you for short articles and it highlights the words ahead of time. You can click them and quickly find out what they mean. Um, so that that works for my level of patience. And the speaking gets me to a stage where at least when I'm conversing with people and there's a, a communication problem, it's a human being I'm conversing with. So they're able to rephrase things. They're able to speak slowly. They're able to maybe use synonyms that I may understand. A book isn't going to do that for me without a lot of extra legwork. So um, this is why I focus on working with the people until I get to a conversational stage where I have so much vocabulary then that then starting to read a book is much less of a mountain to climb. And it can become a pleasant experience with just the odd word I need to look up. So um, uh, I know for some people, they'll incorporate reading into their experience a lot sooner because reading is more important in their life. But for me, it, I, I have less patience, so I have to incorporate it later by definition. I'm, I'm curious with, because uh, for the German, like obviously being in the country and having the pressure of the institute and the people who you had to deliver to uh, can be a huge motivator. But what is motivating you now with your Spanish and your Mandarin? And what's different from before? And like, how can you learn these languages without this pressure that you had from living in Germany? That's a great question. And I've kind of definitely learned from my experience in Germany, like what learning a language can do for you, you know, like the benefits of that. And that's definitely helped remind me of why I'm still doing it and why I'm learning languages, because you like are able to communicate with a whole nother like um, a country, a whole other continent with Spanish, you know. And so it is hard, though, and especially being outside of the country, you see that benefit less because you're less you're interacting with people less. Um, what's helped me, especially with Spanish, is finding ways to practice here, you know. So um, I do italki lessons and my tutor is really cool. So I really enjoy like talking to my tutor. And, and at this point, we just have like conversations for an hour, you know, and it's and it's fun to finish a conversation and be like, wow, I actually just like talked for almost that whole hour. I was I was the one talking and, and it went super well. And and that feeling kind of pushes me forward. And then also like I'll go to the farmer's market and uh, and if there's any Latinx vendors, you know, I'll, I'll try to talk to them in Spanish and it makes me feel good. You know, it makes them feel good. I met this one guy at the farmer's market who's selling peaches. And and then the next time I came, he remembered my name. We had a whole conversation and it was it was it just made me feel really good. And that pushes me forward. Like This is why I'm learning Spanish so I can speak to the guy who sells me peaches, you know, and and then. You know, I was reminded again very recently of, of why I learned like languages because I was thinking about Mandarin and I was like, do I really want to like here I am I've been learning Spanish for over two years now, like two and a half, almost three, really. And, and I'm not as fluent as I am in German. You know, I'm not I'm not where I, I would really, really want to be. Is that worth it to do that whole thing again in Mandarin to put those hours in and be so confused and 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 struggle really hard and, and maybe reach this level, but maybe not, you know, if I like stop somewhere or find I don't have enough time or something. But but this summer I went to Colombia and Bolivia and I did work exchanges 
And that really showed me like, this is why you're learning languages so that you can go to these countries and have these incredible experiences you could never have had otherwise. So I stayed at this amazing farm in Colombia that was absolutely beautiful. And I helped this farmer process his Colombian coffee and, and learn about his like beliefs about ecology and farming. And then I stayed at this um, very interesting like shamanic commune in Bolivia and met people from Argentina and Uruguay and Mexico and, and all in Spanish. And we were all speaking Spanish the whole time. And we, and I got to participate in these very interesting ceremonies. And I just learned a lot from these people. And now I'm still talking to them. Like I'm now in, in a WhatsApp group of people at the commune and some other people from Argentina. And now I have the opportunity to like text them in Spanish every day. And these are connections that that fulfill me, you know, that that motivate me more to say, okay, this is why I learn languages, because I can have these incredible experiences, because I can meet these incredible people who can kind of make me feel better in my life, can can improve my life just by like having them as a friend, just by knowing them. And that's why I'm going to continue. You know, like when I started learning Mandarin, one of the first things I did was go to this bookstore in Chinatown because I was in staying in San Francisco at the time that I started. And I walked into this bookstore. I'm like, I'm trying to find a book to learn Mandarin. And this incredibly sweet Taiwanese lady helps me find this book and was telling me, you know, like, if you ever need help, like learning Chinese, I used to be a teacher. Here's my number. Like, you can call me. Like, this is why I learn languages so I can talk to these people so I can have these moments. And, and that's what's helping me continue now. It's hard, but like it pays off, I think. That connection is something you can't quantify in terms of monetary reward. You know, just connecting with someone in their native language and having others step up and go, I can help you. I can help you. My husband often says before we go into a store, if, if we're running late, he's like, honey, today is not the day for you to find a native speaker. If there's someone with an accent, I want you to keep moving. And I'm like, all right, we make, you know, we do Mondays and Wednesdays. I can, I can hunt down native speakers. So you talked a little bit about traveling for a language exchange as a, a junior in high school. I'm assuming that you're not independently wealthy and was just able to, you know, completely procure a very expensive trip there with servants that helped you learn the language. And then you talked about um, working on a farm in Spanish speaking country. Can you tell our listeners how you are managing to travel nearly for free. Absolutely. Yeah, you're right. I'm not independently like wealthy. I don't have like to, I don't have enough money to stay in Germany for a year or to, to stay like traveling in, in South America too long. So for Germany, that was a scholarship. So um, there was this exchange program. It's called CBYX. If any high schoolers are interested in going to Germany, CBYX is an amazing program that sends 250 American students to Germany and 300 German students to America each year. And this isn't the only program. Like there are many scholarships available and a lot of people might say, oh, well, I probably won't get the scholarship. Like, oh, that's just like not going to happen to me. But like, you don't know. <laughs> like there's so many of them that like you might just. And to be honest, like CBOX is, is it's not too well known. So there's not actually that many people applying. And so really like you just have to, if you're really passionate and they like ask you these questions on the essay questions. And if you're passionate about exploring a new culture and learning a language, like that's what they want to hear. I was invited to be an interviewer um, for the next like round of CBOX participants. And so as an interviewer, you know, you're you're looking for these students who are passionate and excited to go 
go places. So if you're like passionate and excited to go and learn and genuinely experience this culture, you know, and you apply to these applications, like let them know that. And they're more likely to accept you. And there's so many of them. And you just have to like search. And searching is hard, you know, like it's not just going to be the first result in Google, but like spend time. And that's the next thing, you know, like when I went to South America, I did these work exchanges and and there's so many of them out there. And um, one website in particular is just like workaway.info. That's what I use to find these um, work exchanges to go to Colombia and Bolivia. I've done one in California and one in Tennessee. Those weren't like language learning experiences because we just spoke English, but still like very interesting experiences. And they have them all over the world. You can also do woofing and do like organic farm stays all over the world. And so for those, you typically have to pay or you you have to pay for like uh, travel. So I had to pay for my flight to Colombia and Bolivia, but they covered my hosts, covered the food and my stay. And I just had to work. But honestly, like it's not hard work. Typically, it's not like work that's going to make you miserable. You know, like it's nice work. It's cool. It's so interesting. And in Colombia, I was like processing coffee and picking blackberries to make jam. And, and in like Bolivia, I was like cutting alfalfa to feed the llamas. Like that was so cool. Like I would never be able to do that here, you know? So yeah, there's many opportunities. They just take, like when I was trying to find these work exchanges, I spent probably a few weeks like, okay, what about this program and this program and how do I do this and applying to this and sending emails to this person. But it pays off because then you can stay. I was in South America for a month in total and like staying a month in a hostel, you know, like that gets expensive. But there I was food covered, housing covered and, and meeting amazing people. And then you get to talk to those people in Spanish. So definitely finding opportunities that are like homestays, works, exchanges, scholarships. Those I think are they're available and they're really beneficial. Excellent stuff. So you've got a nice range of language experience under your belt already, and uh, you're a lot younger than many other language learners. So I'm curious from your different perspective, what, as you know, this is the language hacking podcast. So what do you define language hacking and how does that look in your life? I think language hacking is is kind of a, just a new approach to language learning that's like not traditional. I think a lot of people who who think about, oh, I want to learn a language. They don't know how. And what we think is how is like take it in a class. So I was telling people I was learning Mandarin and they're like, oh, you're taking like a Mandarin class at, at college. I'm like, no, no, I, I don't really take those classes. Like I, they haven't helped me in the past. I don't think they're going to help me right now. You know, like I studied at home. I put in the time at home. So and I, I know a lot of people who are like doing Duolingo, which I think is great. But if you really want to learn a language, you kind of need to know that you can't just use Duolingo. You know, you have to use it in addition to this and go out and speak to people. So for me, language hacking is finding the, a strong motivation to learn that language and translating that motivation into a routine of every day. I'm going to spend an hour learning this language, doing a variety of things, Duolingo, learning with vocab lists, learning grammar, speaking, reading etc. And and finding the method that works best for me and use that to like speaking with people and getting that benefit of, of like enjoying that conversation or like meeting someone new. So that's kind of language hacking for me is kind of like finding your own way to learn a language that isn't just take a class or use this app. Excellent stuff. And uh, before we wrap up, I, I am curious, what are your long term plans with all these languages you're learning and 
what you think you'll do after college? So after college, um, I have no idea. I still like don't really know what exactly I, I want to do um, occupationally. You know, I'm studying computer engineering right now, so I'm probably going to do something technology related. I'd like to integrate language into that somehow, although I mean, I'm still figuring it all out. But language wise, you know, I want to learn so many languages. They're just all kind of fascinate me. But I'm learning Mandarin right now. Hopefully next summer I'll do a trip like I did this summer of doing a work exchange in like Taiwan or I'll go to China. I really want to, I was talking to Benny before the we started about going to Mexico because I met this Mexican lady in Bolivia and we were talking all about Mexico and it's just like, yes, this is, this is where I need to go and it's so close. So I definitely want to, to improve my Spanish, go and reach that, that like C1 level, like what I have in German. I want to reach that in Spanish and, and travel to Argentina and Mexico and and more of South America. And then I want to learn Mandarin and be able to read books in Mandarin would be my goal because I love to read, but it's just an extra level of difficulty with the characters. I'd love to give Japanese another shot because I spent a lot of time into it and then I just forgot it all. I hope to kind of integrate that into just my, my daily life. I'm interacting with these people in this language because we do this for each other, you know, like they help me with this, I help them with this and, and, and we can kind of live like benefiting off the fact that, that we can communicate this way, you know, and hopefully incorporating that with whatever I do after college, not really sure, but something I love to write and read. So hopefully something in that direction too. technology, reading, writing language, don't know, but I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to find the perfect job. (laughs) And I think you will. Yeah. Very good. This has been an absolutely fascinating discussion, Ben. Thank you so much for joining us. And I hope others listening are inspired by your story as we have been. So until the next time, I wish everybody a very happy language learning. Happy language learning, friends. Happy language learning. Well, Benny, that was a fantastically inspiring interview with Ben Phillips. What are your takeaways? Uh, I had two big takeaways, I think. I know that I am always tempted to not use my time as productively as possible and, you know, watch Netflix shows in English and such. One solution to that is just like be a productivity machine and just be efficient 100% of the time. And that's just not working for me. I, I can't make that immediate switch. I have made that switch in immersion situations, but uh, in long-term momentum, I can't keep that up. But I really like what Ben said, that both with his German friend and in his uh, current life, he accepts his Mondays and Wednesdays as kind of like, these can be English days, that's fine. And I think I might actually take this away from the episode that maybe instead of deciding, you know, an either or, Maybe Mondays and Wednesdays can be the days where I do watch YouTube videos in English and I watch shows in English, but then the rest of the week I can dedicate my time to be a bit more productive. And this way I I don't feel like I'm missing out if there's a show I really want to watch in English, but I can still truly get like five days out of the week to be as productive as possible in my downtime by reading in the other language, by watching shows by watching YouTube videos in the languages I want to practice. So I really, really liked that takeaway. And then the other one was uh, like, people are always saying, if you want to get immersed in the language, you got to be rich. And he had multiple, very, very good suggestions that 
you know, if you're a student, you can apply for a scholarship. Even if you don't think you deserve it, just apply anyway. The worst they can say is no. And then there's all sorts of work exchange situations. And uh, I've seen people do like house sitting situations. There's a million ideas where you can spend time in another country without breaking the bank. And it does not involve saving up tens of thousands of dollars. And, you know, you can find ways to make this work. And I like that he has been um, very flexible about multiple different ways to genuinely be able to go and live in a country for a long extended period of time. So I really like those very big ideas that he had. What were your takeaways? Well, my first surprise is that Ben Phillips has taught Benny Lewis something. So that's really cool. Like we are constantly learning. So that's my number one takeaway. And there's a Tibetan uh, Buddhist practice that's called feeding the demons. Feeding the demons is, you know, I need to have some downtime. I need to have some fun. I need to feed that demon, speak English, have a good time, and then go back to actually working. There is a balance there. The second takeaway was the workaway.info. So he talked about being someone that went to work on a farm. One of our challengers has actually had an exchange, uh, a workaway person come stay with her and her children and speak only Spanish. So the person that was coming just wanted to visit, um, I think it was Utah and didn't care that they were only speaking Spanish. So it worked perfectly. So you can actually, if you have an extra couch, you have an extra room, that is something that you can do as well. And then, um, my last takeaway was different strokes for different folks, right? Like we were, I was asking about book re- reading books because I love reading books. And so as a bookworm, I want to hear all about it, but there are other polyglots like you that really aren't into reading a full book and then marketing on their calendar that they've read that book. That's not what ignites your motivation and your want to continue learning the language. So it's okay to be different. This isn't a one way fits all. If you try to do it that way, if I tried to follow your steps or even Ben's steps, I would not speak the languages that I speak now. So it was a wonderful interview and I'm I'm grateful for his time with us. Very good. So this was a, a great chat for sure. And uh, I think uh, we'll leave it on that note, wishing everybody a very happy language learning. Happy language learning. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Language Hacking Podcast. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Spotify, Podcast Addict, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you found this episode valuable and want to help us out, please leave a review at languagehacking.com forward slash review. The Language Hacking Podcast is presented by Benny Lewis, Shannon Kennedy, and Elizabeth Bruckner, and produced by Katie Pascoe, with special thanks to the Fluent in Three Months team. Theme music was written and performed by Shannon Kennedy. Find the show notes at languagehacking.com forward slash podcast. Thank you for listening and happy language learning.